So welcome to the Story of Software podcast. And today we're talking to Evo and Timo Mir, who are from Sportning. Sportning is a company that is building a social network where sports fans join a community, talk to other fans, find information and content, and build connections with each other. So guys, thank you both very much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So starting with Evo, what made you go into a startup after a career in academia and big tech? So I, I was abroad uh, in the US and Switzerland for 13 years. I did different things and uh, through a friend, I met Ivan with this startup idea. I wasn't really thinking of switching jobs, but first of all, Sportning operates in sports domain. This is something familiar to me. I'm a, I'm a sports fan, even used to work as a long time ago as a part-time sports journalist. So I like the idea. I met Ivan and and saw his uh, drive, his crazy focus and, and education, and, and he seemed like the person who could build a hugely successful startup. And on top of this, we, we kept talking for maybe half a year or even a bit more, and I really liked the opportunity that he was offering, kind of let's try to build a team together that can do something, something big and great. At some point, I decided, yeah, I think it's time to, to try this and make, make the big leap. Fantastic. And for you, Tiomir, what's your background prior to Sportning? Yeah, this is uh, also an interesting part uh, because it's a mix of really different roles. Uh, immediately after graduating the Faculty of Science, I went to UC Berkeley to work as an intern, then moved back to Croatia, started to, as a web developer in one small company. After that, moved to Ericsson Nikola Tesla, which is a big corp here in Croatia, and worked there as a solution integrator. Uh, after that, moved to Nanobit, which is a gaming company, uh, the biggest gaming company here in Croatia. And there I learned a lot about the B2C space, uh, worked as a data analyst. So it was uh, quite a great gig for me. Then started uh, again as a developer and then realized that I prefer a broader role than just do development. Moved to one agency which is working as more in, in marketing space, which I like. And there I was working as a consultant where it was a mix of tech and business. And after that, I met Ivan and also told him this story about all of these different roles. Then he realized this is a really good combination for someone to become a product manager. And then I decided to, to join the Sporting and I'm now in this role, which is, uh, I think, really great for me. Fantastic. So, Tiomir, could you also tell us about Sporting and what your company does? Yeah, we, uh, we, we are a startup based in, in Croatia. And we started to assemble the team in late 2019. Uh, we are building the app for sports community. And our goal is become the number one app in this space. Very good. And Evo, could you tell us something about the tech stack you have chosen for Sportning and why? So the tech stack is a bunch of very kind of interesting technologies. Uh, I think the most unique uh, we have at Sportning is that we built the system around Elixir microservices. So Elixir is somewhat of a niche language. 
it's a language that we picked because it's uh, relatively simple to both write and read, and then it has a bunch of guarantees that are good for resilient systems that are running in parallel. So we're building a platform where people can communicate, uh, chat is one big component of this. Uh, so Elixir was was a great choice for kind of for being able to handle parallelism of, of getting a lot of messages right into the system. Uh, and I, I believe other bigger companies like Discord, even WhatsApp, I believe, do use this uh, language as well. So we have a bunch of Elixir microservices that talk to Apache Kafka, and this is all deployed on Kubernetes. So it's it's kind of the rest of the stack is relatively standard in terms of kind of popular AWS technologies. And on terms of mobile apps, and we are developing both iOS and Android apps. So both the mobile apps are native apps uh, written in Swift and Kotlin. Just if I could ask a follow-on question, when you work with something like Elixir and you're looking to expand an engineering team, is it complex given that it's a smaller ecosystem than it would be for other technologies? Or do you find that people can pick it up and learn it quite quickly? So we're not even trying to find Elixir developers because they essentially don't exist. I mean, they exist in in the form of uh, very expensive freelancer and consultants of, I would say, hard to check quality. And we do want to build an in-house team because that gives us a lot more uh, dynamism and, and agility. So, I mean, the other choice is to employ really good people and to have them learn Elixir. So we have an onboarding process that lasts around a month and a half. And then I would say uh, people pick up the language uh, relatively quickly. So within three months, I think everyone is a productive developer. So that's kind of, there's, there's a little bit of a, of a learning curve, but once people actually learn it, they will become in love with the language. Is there any particular kind of language background that makes it easier to transition over to Elixir? Would someone coming from a Python background pick it up easier than someone coming from a .NET background, or does that have any impact at all? Uh, Elixir is a functional language, so something like Scala can be maybe more familiar than other languages. But I think it is quite a paradigm shift, so most people, it, it's, not, it's not an immediate transition. You need to kind of switch the mindset. And I, we haven't noticed, like we haven't seen that some background like someone who was working in C-sharp versus Python, that, that there's any major difference in terms of the speed of onboarding. Very good. So given the, the business domain that you're in, what are the tech challenges that come along with that? All right, so one of the tech challenges, Elixir gives you a lot of benefits, but it's also a lot less supported than Java or C++, let's say. Uh, so some of the things that you take for granted in those languages, such as having well working and reliable HTTP client might not be the case in Elixir or even some data structures like, I don't know, maps or sets. They're, they're a bit differently implemented in, in Elixir and, and the performance is different. So, so you need to be aware that you might run into some low-level issues. You might even need to build your own libraries for certain things that just are there for more supported languages. One of the other challenges is with two mobile platforms that are developed in parallel, and we do try to kind of 
build on the same base, build a product on both platforms. So making sure that there's not a lot of difference, that one platform doesn't go really well ahead of the other. It's kind of a, a synchronization problem. Like you can imagine we have a small team and then if you have two people who are working as iOS engineers going on vacation, then that kind of affects you because the Android team will, will, will be ahead and that, that has repercussions on kind of how you develop the backend and then so on. So that's another challenge. I think as any startup, one of the bigger challenges is also to, to pick your fights and to see what the trade-offs are uh, when you need to deliver something fast. Engineers by default like to make things perfect and that kind of doesn't go well with delivery speed where you have to product market fit as soon as possible. So you need to make certain trade-offs. You need to still maintain quality because you don't want to get into kind of dead ends where, where you end up with software that's unmaintainable and that you can throw into, the, into garbage. So those are the tech challenges. But I think with all this being said, uh, with good engineers, you you will find solutions. I think the biggest challenge is really finding these good engineers in what's currently a very competitive market in terms of IT and creation, I think globally as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what we've been seeing over the last years is the kind of falling down of geographical boundaries. And now it truly is a global market. You have US and you know, UK companies now going directly into markets like Croatia or Spain or Portugal. and you know, local companies having to compete with that. So, yeah, it's, uh, uh, you know, finding and, and maintaining good engineers is a, is a big challenge for a lot of businesses. Just to add to, to that right now, just kind of to illustrate how much of a change this is, I think many engineers in Croatia here are right now better paid than, let's say, prime minister or CEOs of, of publicly traded companies local publicly traded companies so so it's it's a huge shift well that's uh that's quite striking isn't it um Tiamir, i would love to ask you about how do you decide what gets developed and is there a long-term roadmap yeah i think yeah this this part how we decide it improved uh, with the time in early beginnings it was all based on the experience we didn't have much data like for the first version until we released it on the stores. After that, we get a lot of uh, user data through the data analytics. And we started to use all the different kind of user research methods, like interviewing people, surveying them, uh, listening to their feedbacks. We also have in the app chat with our support where they also express what's good for them, what they would like to for us to add. So right now, it's a combination of all, all of the sources of the data and it's combined with the vision where we want to go and it's a complex topic for sure and sometimes it's really difficult to, to prioritize because you usually have let's say five to ten things in the, in the backlog then you need to decide which goes first uh, regarding the long-term roadmap uh, we also experimented a lot with different kind of methods and in the end we realized that uh, long-term roadmap doesn't work for us we want to be as agile as possible because usually you get a new data new fresh input from the users or from the analytics 
upon you need to act and change direction pretty quickly. So that, yeah, that's the way how we operate right now. And could you also speak a little how the product has evolved over your time in the company? Uh, yeah, in the early beginning, we started as an app with multiple sports in it and focused on the private discussions. It was based on the conversations with the hardcore fans that we had back then, because we realized they have a lot of private groups in WhatsApp or Telegram. Then we also we also started to send the news to those groups. And it was a learning that it's not a good way how to deliver news, because then you break up conversations. Then we split the news and the groups. Through the, through the user acquisition, we realized that people would like to discuss with their fellow fans, and we need to enable them to join conversations. So we opened up the platform by creating public groups. And we also on the way make it easy to, to marketing team to acquire such a user because we have a group with a limited number of people. It was by design. Uh, we don't want to have a huge groups where you are not able to communicate fluently there because it becomes a mess if thousand people are start to write at the same time. Now, recently, uh, we are moving into the feed direction because we want to improve their uh, user experience. In the older version, it was scattered and people didn't know what is the core part of the product. And what we also realized, because we are building communities, we need to stay focused on a couple of teams. Because when you have a cold start problem, you are not able to focus on everything, but you need to pick your uh, battles wisely. So we decided to pick three teams for which we are doing uh, acquisition. Fantastic. And Ivo, could you tell us a little bit about why you think the company has what it takes to succeed? Well, sports domain, first of all, it's not typically perceived as, as uh, a crazy, innovative, uh, state-of-the-art startups domain. So, so I think with, with the company we're trying to build, we're trying to kind of disrupt this domain a bit. And what we're doing is we're really trying to uh, introduce really strong, strong product development practices. So the first thing we, we're trying to do is have a really strong focus on the user and making sure that uh, we develop and solve problems for users and have a really well-focused product that's involved in the right direction. The other part of the culture and, and the company we're, we're trying to build that I think will, will help us succeed is this culture of ownership where everyone on the team is not simply someone who's, who comes to work and, and solves tasks that he's given or she, and, uh, but instead they actually own, feel part of ownership in the company and in the things they're, they're working on. So their people will try to make something that's even more impactful than, than we initially planned for them to do, or they're going to come up with new ideas, better ways to do things. So, so that's very important of kind of part of our culture. And I think so far, at least to this stage, uh, where we have around 40 people, we also try to do our best to really in hiring people who have seniority and uh, have a lot of talent and are quality people. So, so all these things in combination, I think, 
are what makes Sporting special and, and a company that can succeed in this pretty crowded sports domain space. But, but I think there is space for, for someone new can disrupt. You both mentioned uh, ownership as part of the culture of the company. Could you tell us a little bit more about the culture of the organization and what makes it special? Yeah, I mean, in Croatia, generally, uh, companies are, are built in a way like, okay, you will give people a task and they will deliver on it. What we started to build uh, early in the beginning is to create uh, a product teams work their own company within the organization. So which means they need to act as a owner. They need uh, to bring uh, insights on the table. Uh, so they, they kind of feel that the part that they are building, it's their own. And let's say the ownership is, I'd say, the primary thing you need to have it. The other part, which is quite strong, is uh, teamwork. Because all the product team, which consists of uh, product managers, developers, designers, they need to work as a, as a strong team who collaborate and discuss every, every decision. So people need to be open-minded when being challenged. And this is also one aspect of our culture where we enforce people to give a feedback as soon as possible. And aim of the feedback is to improve each other. And I'd say we are, we are quite good at it. And by doing this, uh, it enables company to move faster and to solve all the issues immediately when detected. So you, you want to avoid the things that uh, after a couple of months, you realize that you had some problems you didn't even notice uh, and even solve. This gives us uh, ability to scale and to move faster, which is the building stone of the, of the successful startup. Fantastic. You know, in, uh, in Ireland, where I come from, the um, reputation of Croatian developers is very strong. We've had Croatians working in the Irish tech sector for many years. And I wonder, could you tell us about what the ecosystem is like in Croatia right now? Is there, is there a lot of startups? Is there more people working in, in consultancies? How would you describe the, the landscape at the moment? The biggest employers are uh, consultancies, so there's a few big names that have even been acquired by Five was acquired by Andava, which is a U.S. company, I believe. So there's and and these companies started I don't know five ten years ago, so so they've been around for a while, and recently there have been more and more startups. So the startup ecosystem is picking up. There's a couple of already Series B or Series C startups with strong funding and a bunch of up-and-coming startups. I think recently uh, Croatia had saw a couple of startups become unicorns, so Rimac and, uh, and Infobip. So it's becoming more vibrant. Very good. Um, Timir, I would like to ask you how you have approached growing the, the product teams and maybe you have some learnings that might be useful for other product leaders. Yeah, I mean, we, we initially uh, set up the company to be ready to scale. Uh, so the idea is uh, to create independent cross-functional product teams, which operates almost independently. There are always some kind of collaborations, but you need to create them that they are minimal, which is a really, really great approach because on the leadership it requires to get them 
just the goals which you want them to achieve. And then they are discovering which problems they need to solve and how to measure the success of the solutions. Uh, but one of the, of the biggest challenges to create such a team is hiring. Here in Croatia, we don't have that much product experience people. So product managers roles is quite difficult, but uh, growing people internally is always the option, which we are doing right now. But it's not just the, the product managers, it's the whole team. So you need to grow people to think differently. We want them to collaborate on the solution from early phase of creating the idea and then validating solutions. So it's a paradigm shift for people here in, in Croatia. But in the long run, they're quite satisfied with how they work. And then they really feel like they participate. So I think in the long run, this is the, the best way how to set a product team. Ivo, um, could you tell us a little bit about Luca Madrid's involvement uh, in the company and how that came about? So those of you who don't know, Luka Modric is one of the best players of the last decade, definitely the best player in Croatian football history. And Ivan, uh, he is an investor and shareholder in Sporting. This might even be his first direct investment he's made, which is like thinking about how sports uh, stars, athletes operate commercially. They typically are paid to become brand ambassadors and so on. So so getting Luca to become an investor in Sporting and, and, and a shareholder is a great achievement. And I think Ivan met Luca through some of his connections. Ivan is kind of uh, previously also started one sports startup which had a successful exit. So he got to know people in the sports domain. So he managed to meet with Luca and make him part of our story as well. Very good. Ivo, how do you in general compare working at Google with working at Sportling? It's uh, completely different. On one hand, you have a company that's been around for 25 years, has 100,000 employees, I think, at this point. On the other hand, you have a startup which has 40 people working in it and hasn't been around for that long. We launched the product a year ago. So obviously, there's huge differences in terms of kind of how the companies are organized, how the processes look like at a huge company. There are processes that are already predefined. You don't need to worry about a lot of things uh, that you do at a small startup. Like starting from really minor things like coming into the company and getting a computer that kind of works and five minutes in your lifetime at Google, you're probably able to start coding. Here you need to first spend some time setting up emails and all sorts of accounts and like a week later you can actually do productive work. So you don't have the support of hundreds of people doing the little, little things for you. There's a lot, also a lot more agility at a startup. So the bar of launching something into Google's uh, products is very high. You need to have months of experimentation, months of data to back up a decision to actually make something a permanent part of the product. Here, we don't have the luxury. We need to uh, make decisions on a weekly basis and, and move forward. And I think in terms of my role at Google, I worked as an engineer. 
Here I lead the engineering organization. So the role here is a lot less defined. So it's more of, again, going back to the ownership and, and needing to do whatever needs to be done, whether it's like, okay, Tito needs some help with defining parts of the product. We need to collaborate on the roadmap to solving some issues in production, to making sure that we have investor pitches ready and so on. So it's, it's a lot broader scope where you do whatever needs to be done. And that's, I would say, the biggest difference. Yeah, I think it's, it's fair to say that when you're in a smaller organization, your capacity to have an impact is much greater. Um, I'm sure there are, you know, junior folks joining your organization that can have a genuine impact in terms of product or technology strategy, even just by having discussions with you guys. Whereas if you join as uh, employee number 100,000, and it's going to be challenging for you to make an impact. It, it is possible, but, you know, you're going to have to be patient. So um, there's certainly, I have found in my own career, I've worked in very small organizations and I've worked in, in global companies and uh, I've much preferred the kind of growing startup kind of vibe because of the ownership that you can take and the influence that you can have. You do get a lot more invested because you can see your, your own personal imprints on the, on the output. So that's, uh, that's very true. Uh, final question I have for both of you is a request for recommendations. You guys have obviously both done very well in your careers. That always involves learning. So how are you learning? Is it podcasts, books? What are the resources that are allowing you both to progress and to learn? Yeah, I usually prefer books. Uh, so I prepare the three of them, which I highly recommend. They are maybe basics, but great entry for different topics. So one is inspired uh, from Marty Kagan. Uh, it's about product and how to set up product teams and what is the role of the product manager. Based on this book, we, we created our company and our teams. The Making of a Manager is a great book for people who are growing in their roles. And this is especially useful for new managers that we, we have in our companies. And they read it and they really found it really useful. And the third one is powerful from Betty McCord. She helped create a Netflix culture. It's a great inspiration how to build great culture. So those are the books. Uh, I have a, one great simulator for a new and aspiring product manager. It's a great way how to, how to learn, how to think uh, through the data. It's called Go Practice by Oleg Yakubenko. And we also, and almost every, every person who is willing to attend it will uh, pay for it. And for every data, a person in the company and the product manager, this is a mandatory thing to, to do. And I also follow a lot of people on Twitter and in Instagram, but I think that Treas Doshi is the most notable. He, he shares a lot of uh, great insights and how product management should operate. Now, on my side, uh, in terms of engineering books, I think if you were trying to learn about how a good engineering organization, good engineering practices are set up and how to build production-ready distributed systems, then I think three books that come from Google are, are actually good reading. I believe at least two of them are publicly available to anyone. So software engineering at, at Google is one of them, and the other ones are site reliability engineering and site reliability workbook. And besides the books and the online resources, I would say a great way to learn is 
to peers. So if you have quality colleagues, you can learn a lot from each one of them. And we also do try to have external advisors, people who we used to work with in other companies or people we meet on the way. Uh, we try to have these regular connections, regular meetings, because someone with experience, one of our advisors is, for example, Eric Tubasi, who I worked with at Google. He was a director, but he's now advising us. So, so someone who worked at Apple, Google, Stripe, and has seen it all. A lot of the situation you get into when building a company and, and operating a business, they, they've seen it all and they can give a lot of useful advice. Fantastic. So I want to say a big thank you to, to both of you. It's been a very interesting discussion and I've really enjoyed learning about sporting and, and your career journeys. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Looking forward to, to the final product. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> we have production by Adnan Tuchar with support by Albina Kresteva and Evan Sheehan. And we'll catch you next time on the Story of Software podcast.